they're standing and they're applauding that dramatic performance by James Orville and Christopher Dean. Alex Bilodeau. It takes a lot to make him happy and he is clearly pleased. She's up, she's moving nicely. She's got it. Yes! yes. is off the podium an olympics podcast coming to you today for another fantastic interview as we return to the sport of snowboarding snowboard cross to be precise and we speak to the one the only mr adam lambert two-time olympian from pyeongchang and in beijing and adam's got a great story to tell in regards to his journey in the sport of snowboarding basically he switched to snowboard cross and within less than a year of hitting the world cup circuit made it to an Olympic Games. Now, that is an incredible story, which came from injuries and other aspects of his career that challenged him along the way. But uh, it's a great story about how he got there. His first Olympics in Pyeongchang didn't live up to what he was expecting, spurred him on to his next Olympics earlier this year in Beijing, and uh, some great stories that came from that as well. A fantastic chat here with Adam. There's also uh, some great memories of the late, great Chumpy Pullen. What's it like sharing his name? with a very famous singer out there and just how many olympics we might see him at it's obviously been two but there's plenty more to come for adam in the future so this is a great chat with australian two-time olympic snowboarder adam lambert So pumped and excited to be able to return to the sport of snowboarding today here on Off the Podium to chat with a two-time Olympic snowboarder competing in Pyeongchang and Beijing. And so excited to learn a lot more about his career, his achievements, and everything else in between. It's a pleasure to welcome to the show Adam Lambert. Adam, first of all, welcome to Off the Podium. It's a pleasure to have you on the show today. Uh, Thanks for inviting me. I haven't done a podcast before, so it's my first time. Wow, I will try and yeah. be gentle. That's uh, that's surprising. <laughs> I thought you'd be beating these sort of interviews off with a stick, really. Uh, come on, people, uh, get Adam in demand. Why aren't you on? <laughs> why isn't you on people's podcasts? Come on. Yeah, that's a bit hit and miss. I think you know, as snow sports is an interesting. It's an interesting genre of sport. We, uh, especially in Australia, we get you know, maybe six months of coverage every four years. But um, you know, we it's fine. Like. Uh, I'm excited to be here, and that's all that really matters. That's keen to the be first, on the podcast. The first one, <laughs> yeah. Adam, to ever be excited to be here. So thank you. It's only taken a couple hundred episodes, so we're good. We're off to a uh, a good start. But I mean, it's 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 a great <laughs> yeah. point you make. I mean, we always like to talk a lot with our winter athletes, sort of about how realistically a lot of the time you do only sort of get that brief bit of coverage every four years in an olympic cycle and obviously at the time of doing this interview we're six months removed from from beijing so it's sort of i guess dies down a little bit now in terms of sort of that uh, attention but i mean do you sort of make the most of that then when you can sort of in the lead up to an olympics and maybe the little bit of time after an olympics when people are talking about yourself and your fellow australian snow athletes yeah, we definitely try to. Um, like I said, it's a very narrow window, so it's a good to get like um, try and get your name out there a little bit. Try and get uh, you know your name in front of some eyes that don't normally see you. Um, 
it's hard though. Like, um, I mean, it's still people just are thinking about, they still have to like kind of find you. Um, so the only thing you can really do is, you know, you, you be consistent on your socials and you try to take any kind of interview, um, interview opportunities you can take and TV appearances if they come up and, and just make, make the most of it when you can and try and get a, a little bit of a following and get your, get your name out there a little bit. That's, that's what we try to do, but it's, it's not as easy as it sounds. Um, you know sometimes you got to be known to get known uh so um yeah but i mean obviously that's the goal every four years we have this like big spotlight the olympics comes around um and all, all of the attention is on us for a little while and we try to take advantage of it i think it's always the most fascinating stories often come from the winter athletes too sort of the journeys that it takes for you to get to you know the peak stage at the olympics and for yourself i believe you were strapped to a snowboard basically at 18 months of age. I mean, this almost seems like it was something you're almost born into. I mean, is is that the story? Is it that simple <laughs> at 18 months? Your parents are like, come on, Adam, you're going on a snowboard. This is what you're going to do for the rest of your life. Yeah, it's. I, I think I got pretty lucky. My parents were like snowboard enthusiasts. I'd even say snowboard fanatics to a certain point. And um, I would we used to live up at Nelson Bay area, like Newcastle area. And, um, they used to drive down here every week. Oh, sorry, not down here where I am right now, but in Jindabyne, they used to drive to Jindabyne every weekend to Parachute and Threbo. Um, and then when I came along, they were like, this is too hard with a kid. Um, why don't we just move here full time? So they shipped up, packed their whole life. All of our family lives up North. They came down here by themselves and set up a new life. And part of that life was putting me on a snowboard at 18 months and seeing how I went. <laughs> And the rest is history. That's crazy. What yeah. was it? Did you ever sort of have a conversation with them at all about what about snowboarding it was that drew them to it? I never really did. I think that, I mean, they've always kind of been into water sports. They loved water skiing, um, wakeboarding. I think it was just a natural extension of that in a way. Um, but, yeah, I haven't actually asked them why they enjoyed snowboarding and skiing so much or even what got them into it. That's a good question. I have to ask them at some point. It, it's fascinating to think because sort of when you were younger, what, about a year old when the Nagano Olympics were on in 1998, that's when snowboarding made its debut at the Olympics. So I, I, I guess sort of outside of an Olympics, snowboarding wasn't exactly something that was shown too much on that stage unless it was sort of, I guess, in X Games or things along those lines. So it's obviously yep. taken off from strength to strength nowadays, but it's almost like you were kind of born at the right time then for snowboarding, essentially, that within that period, snowboarding had just yeah. debuted at the Olympics, so it's kind of a perfect time to grow up in the sport, I guess. Yeah, it was. And and I think that growing up in Australia as well, snowboarding is such a popular sport in Australia. Over in Europe, you still see a lot of kids, they're all riding skis, they're all ski races from a young age. But in Australia, like more than half of the kids are snowboarders, like um, it's just kind of like the cool thing to do, you know, and all the kids want to be cool and they come in and they, and it's just, a, it's such a nice, uh, um, such a nice, uh, community of snowboarders in Australia. Um, you know, and you get your bad eggs, but you definitely have, I don't know. It's just like, it's so loved in Australia and there's no like a stigma attached to it. And some places overseas, there's still a stigma attached to snowboarding. Um, it's a great place to grow up and it's a great place to, to be able to, to learn how to snowboard. And yeah, it's, yeah. That, it's that, that laid back attitude I can imagine sort of that. Yeah, it, it is. And that, that especially that early two thousands kind of time period, um, it was just, you know, the baggiest pants you can wear. It was the, <laughs> um, 
I don't know. It was like the Grom hype. You know, you have all the little, little kids kind of cruising around like myself at the time and all of the adults are like, yeah, sick. Look <laughs> at these little Groms. It was a good time to grow up. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's the main thing. And was it always snowboarding? Were you purely set on that? Did you try your hand at sort of skiing and other snow sports as well growing up in that yeah. area? Yeah, yeah, I did. I um, I skied and snowboarded until I was 11. Um, my parents didn't like babysitting me that much, uh, so they put <laughs> me in Mini Mites, uh, the little um, Parisha kids program, and they didn't have snowboarding, so I skied for most of my younger adolescence um, and then swapped over back, swapped back over to snowboarding full time around 12 years old. Yeah. And was that sort of something growing up that it was always winter sports? I mean, were you into other sports as well? Just like typical kid growing up where you would just, you know, play anything wherever you could really? Yeah. Yeah, I was. I, I've played all of it. I played soccer. I played rugby union, rugby league. Um, I was a pretty good wakeboarder. Um surfed a little bit water skied as well uh skateboarding i think i said that already but i did a lot of stuff growing up and i think that that actually has played a, a large part in why i'm so good at the sport that i do um because it's really a, it's a really variable sport it's not it's not like um slalom or you know, let's use swimming as an analogy swimming is a very um it's a very strict sport it's it's one thing and you do it all day every day Watercross is completely different. Every single event we go to, even when we go back to the same venues, it's completely different. So it's very variable. And I think that doing all those different sports growing up was a huge advantage for me. And did you ever sort of just harbor aspirations to go to an Olympics or was that something that sort of came the more you progressed in the sport? Um, funnily enough, my first my first ever like Olympic dream was for swimming. Uh, I used to swim um Oh, I reckon I swam for most of my childhood, like in swim club. And I think I was the regional champion for like 200 meters and a hundred meter wow. butterfly. Just like weird, weird, like long distance things that I just happened to be good at. But I, I had the, um, from a young age, I was like, yeah, I want to go to the Olympics as a swimmer, but it never really happened. So, um, I, get, I suppose snowboarding was an extension of that, but I never really planned on it. It just kind of happened. Um, it happened. Yeah. It, 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 I don't know. I feel like a lot of, a lot of snowboarders, they don't really plan on being an Olympic athlete. It just kind of the pieces fall into place and, and we get to, you know, experience that kind of Olympic spirit down the line. Which I can imagine too, sort of growing up in that period of that young age as well. I mean, you would have been what about 13 when Tora bright one gold in Vancouver. So, I mean, when something like that exposes yep. a sport a little bit more as well, I mean, I can imagine, do you see something like that and that changes your mind a little bit seeing that that is a possibility, like a, an Olympic gold medal by an Australian in the sport? Yeah, for sure. I, I think that, yeah, it's hard to say for sure. Um, it was a long time ago, <laughs> but um yeah, I don't think I ever grew up with aspirations to be an Olympic snowboarder, but as I got older, for sure, it became more of a goal, um, especially towards when I was 19 years old, eight, 20 years old, when I decided that border cross was going to be a sport that I was going to like push for, something that I wanted to try and make a career. Um, obviously, then I was all in for the Olympics, but you know, the, the, the last few years of my schooling career, 
you know, the lead up to the end of my schooling career, I was definitely kind of thinking that this is what I want to do. And are your parents happy? I mean, they've strapped you on a board at 18 months. So, I mean, I can imagine this is something that they might sort of be okay with you at, even though you sort of, you're at that peak part of your life with the school coming to an end that you are sort of having a bit of an eye on the snowboarding yeah. in a post-schooling career. Oh, they've always been supportive. Um, I wouldn't be anywhere near where I am without them. Um, you know, board across and snowboarding in general isn't a very cheap sport to get into, especially when you get overseas. Like, and my parents were, um, you know, they were anal about making sure that they were applying for grants and making sure I was applying for grants to make sure that I could pay my way and, and make, make a, have a proper go at it. But um, at the same time, I think that uh, you get a little bit desensitized to it. Border cross is a very dangerous sport. And um, I've been doing a bit of boxing recently uh, as like a training method. And uh, I was talking to my parents the other day. I was like, I think I want to do a boxing match one day. Um, and they were like, oh, well, my, my mom was like, no, don't do that. That's dangerous as. And my dad was like, yeah, because the sport he currently plays is ping pong. <laughs> like it's a super safe sport he's currently competing. Um, but yeah, no, they're super supportive and they, um, they love what I do. And I'm sure they love being able to go and, and, and visit some of the places I visit as well as, as spectators from time to time. What, what is it about boxing that sort of draws you into maybe having a bit of a, a, a crack at that? I mean, is this sort of a, a late change? Could we see you maybe, you know, 10 years time, Brisbane, <laughs> home Olympics, boxing, you never know? Yeah, I think that um, unfortunately my weight class would be heavyweight or super heavyweight and I'm a shorty. So I would get <laughs> absolutely smoked in a professional boxing match, thinking more like a charity one. Right. I could see that. I mean, you could. there's probably plenty of, uh, you know, fellow snowboarders out there. You probably would love to get into a boxing ring. They probably piss you off out there on the course and get them in the ring. There's a charity. Yeah. You could do that. Yeah, yeah. We'll find someone. <laughs> <laughs> Which I, I believe you sort of focus a bit on slope style f for a little bit. I mean, kind of, is it always mm. a case of trying your hand at the different disciplines in snowboarding before you eventually do settle on snowboard cross? Yeah. Well, I always loved border cross. Don't get me wrong. Um, but when I was growing up, we didn't have the best border cross program. Um, and my parents were adamant that border cross was not something that I probably should train full time. And I'm glad that they said that. I still think that that's the case. Um, so for the first, I, I think I trained slope style for five years, almost five years straight. Um, from when I was like 12 until I was 16, give or take, um, and yeah, I think that that kind of, that kind of cross training is in incredibly important. Like my ability to, you know, do jumps, air awareness, confidence also, it, even as, even something as simple as confidence on jumps makes a huge difference uh, for our sport. So like having that opportunity to learn how to do slope style. And I mean, I got all right. I hurt myself in 2015. I think I blew my ACL, my first ACL. And, um, had to do rehab and I, well, by the time I got back from that, I was 17 years old. I was a little bit too old to keep pursuing slope style, but that was okay for me because I'd actually always planned on pursuing water cross. Like I always enjoyed water cross a bit more. So um, I'm glad that I got the opportunity to train so hard at, at slope style though. I think it's made a massive difference in my water cross capabilities. And I can imagine sort of taking that period to, I guess, recover from an injury gives you a lot of time to, to think and prepare for, for a switch along those lines. So, I mean, going on what you said, that obviously helped the decision maybe a little bit more that you had that time to kind of regroup and think a little bit more about that. 
Yeah, it did. It did for sure. ACL ACL recovery is a long, slow process, especially at the beginning. So there's a lot of time thinking on the couch. <laughs> um, <laughs> and was that the same ACL you did sort of later on as well? Like you recently. blew the same one? Yeah, yeah, it was the same one. My left left ACL. Um, snowboarders, uh, this is an unofficial study, but from, from all the people that I've talked to that are snowboarders that have blown their ACL, it's been almost entirely on their front leg. So um, front leg ACL injuries in snowboarding are relatively common, um, at least more than back leg ACL injuries. So I've had two now, um, planning on not having a third if I can avoid it. <laughs> Uh, sounds like a yeah, good idea it's, it's a it's a pain that that kind of injury is a real pain uh the rehab is is really long and um and it hurts afterwards for a while so you got to get used to the used to knowing what's hurting and what's just like phantom pain like you know what i mean yeah like when Which something's I can imagine wrong as an athlete. when something's just yeah, I was going to say, imagine as an athlete too, it's that constant fighting of you just want nothing more than to get back out there. But, of course, you've probably got a lot of doctors and physios going, no, this is not a good idea. You need to give it more time. Yeah. Otherwise, this could get worse. I mean, it's a constant battle, yeah. I can imagine. It is. And and it was a bit of a culture shock for me too because my first injury, my first ACL injury, I did that, you know, outside of the program um, on my own. And I had a physio and and she was lovely. Her name was Pam. Um, and my doctor, Craig Waller from Sydney, he, um, he was pretty confident that I was going to be back on snow within four months. My, uh, physio said there's no way in hell. And then (laughs) they met in the middle towards the end of it. They met in the middle. So I was back on snow at about four and a half months. Um, but then the second time around with all of the, um, you know, there's a little bit more liability involved once you're on the Australian team. So, it's a little bit more rigid. It's a little bit more, um, it's not as flexible. So I ended up, it ended up taking me seven months to get back on snow the second time, just cause I had to make sure I was ticking all the boxes, you know, crossing the T's, dotting the I's. Um, whereas when I was doing it by myself, it was like, Hey, yeah, probably right. And I was also 16. So that helped, <laughs> but yeah, it's a little bit different. Um, at, when you're on the team, you're definitely being watched, you know, and, and everyone's making sure you're doing everything right, which is a good is thing a- really. Is there much fear when it comes to that first time on snow that, you know, as soon as that you're going to go off that first jump and have that first landing, no matter how much training you've maybe done in a gym or everything like that, I guess it can't compare to that first time racing. And I can imagine what's going in the back of your mind that first time. Yeah, I think, well, for me, I was really lucky the first time because I was so young Um, and everyone that was giving me the go ahead was so confident that I was going to be good um, that. I didn't really, uh, you know, call it, you know, full ignorance, but I didn't really have any worries about my snowboarding post injury. And because I'd gone through that already, when I came back the second time, sure. Yeah. There's definitely some nervousness about it, but especially like with the, the slow burn that we did to get into the snowboarding again, I was super confident that my knee was going to be good. And it was, um, obviously the, the, the feature that I blew my ACL on the first time we had to, go back and do that again. And I was just a little, little, you know, you're always a little bit tentative, but I, I had already known that from the last time I was okay. So I assumed that this time I was going to be okay as well. And it probably helped my mental state a little bit. <laughs> I can imagine you sort of, you understand what's going to go along with that essentially kind yeah. of the second time around versus. Yeah, exactly. You, you know what to expect. When it came to your switch to 
board across. I mean, I, I loved sort of your breakout year. You're 15 at the yep. year 2015 and you finished 15th at the Junior World Championships. I mean, is 15 now basically your lucky number based <laughs> on all of the 15s that kind of came together in the in that year at that age and that placing? That's funny. That's actually a statistic I didn't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> it might be now. It was number 12, but now it might have to be 15. Um, yeah. yeah, no, uh, that year, man, that was in China. I think that the junior world's in China and Yabuli. Um, and yeah, it was a good experience. That one. Um, I was so sick, so, so sick there. I got, um, terrible gastro, uh, on the night before training, training day. And, um, I was up night you know, going out both ends and I rocked up to the course. If I had got that sick, there's no chance nowadays that I'd turn up. But at 15 years old, it's like, whatever, just just have <laughs> half a banana and go snowboard. <laughs> so I, t- I rock up to the course, just absolutely cooked, um, did my training runs. I honestly do not remember a thing like from that wow. day and the next day because the next day I was still sick and it was quality day. So I did both training and quality day there, absolutely crook as a dog. Um, and then... Then I knocked it on this on the third night, and I was all good on race day. But man, <laughs> what a crazy, crazy time! That's I. I just I'm speechless because I'm a wimp when it comes to being sick. That um, I barely yeah. will even get up and go to the fridge to get a bottle of water, let alone compete in a competitive snowboard race. So I mean, that's absolutely in, insane. Does that? give you coaches a little bit of like, oh, okay, this kid's all right. He can push through it all. Or do you think you kind of straight away uh, went, oh, ticked a little <laughs> bit too much. I'm not actually like that all the time, guys. <laughs> I think, uh, well, I think at that race, I was kind of on my own. I didn't have a team at that point. But um, so my parents and me and my sister had all gone over to China to do the race. Well, my sister wasn't there. They weren't there to race, obviously. I don't know why I have to talk about that again. Anyway. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's all right, Adam, all in and as to the story. Why yeah, not? <laughs> why not? We're all racing. Um, so we all went over for my race cause I was only 15 going to China. Obviously it's a little bit, um, of an unknown. Um, and I just, I don't know. I probably just felt the pressure to like actually do it after we spent all the money to have the whole family go visit China for me to go race. Um, I just didn't want to let anyone down and I just, yeah. The fear of letting people down just drove me to get up out of bed and get on the mountain. My dad talks my i was talking to my dad about it recently actually and he said that i looked like a ghost like barely standing it was miserable wow. miserable G- gives <laughs> you a I bit of a, a sense of a chinese food though i can imagine when you're in beijing maybe you now know what not to eat so you don't possibly get sick again oh totally the i mean the, there was a bit of a difference between the food we were getting served there and the food we were getting served at the olympics but um <laughs> uh i don't th- it's hard to say whether it was the food or not because I ended up being real careful about what I was eating because I knew that they were putting food out in the Bay Marie and they were leaving it there all day until it emptied before they replaced the Bay Marie. Mm. So <laughs> I was pretty much just eating bread and jam the whole trip. Um, <laughs> and but I think there was like an actual gastro bug going around wow. and that's what got, it got a lot of people. Okay, it wasn't just you. I'm liking this 
bread and jam, you know, sort of uh, food of Olympic champions, basically. Yeah, yeah. At that point. At least at 15. I don't know if I can function off bread and jam anymore. Yeah. (laughs) When you're 15, you always find nutrition in all the weird foods, don't you? It's like, yeah, bread and jam. That'll do me for the next week. That's fruit and bread. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's carbs, it's it's fruit, yeah. it's, you know, it ticks all the boxes, right? So, it, <laughs> it kind of works. I love sort of the journey that you had then, basically, from that point through to your first Olympics in 2018. I mean, you yeah. won the Europa Cup, of course, made your World yeah. Cup debut basically less than a year out from your first ever Olympics yeah. when you it did was pretty all right as well. So, I mean, how yeah. that's a very quick transition, isn't it, to go from that point to within less than a year, you're going to be going to an Olympic Games. Mm. It was an incredibly quick turnaround. Um, the There was a lot of pressure that year for me um, because I had kind of poured, this was kind of my like shot. I was going to pull the trigger on, on this year or I was going to kind of call it quits. And um, I spent my life savings uh, to get over to Europe and we paid for a coach to come with us and we organized a little team to kind of like spread the cost of accommodation, you know, um, the coaching fees, the waxing fees, all that stuff. Uh, we we just set up um, this little team. I, I dropped my life savings on flights and, um, and accommodation and just sent it. And I just kind of, yeah, it kind of just all clicked for me that, the start of that year i um hit the europa cup tour uh won three races in a row there um asked to go race world cup because i'd met the criteria and they said um not this year we'll let you race in february next year and i was like okay fine that's is what it is um rocked up to my first race in felberg and um managed to pull a seventh place on the second race day um on the first race day i got 52nd or something but on the on the second race day i got seventh place um and that kind of like you know caught the eye of the australian team they're like okay cool yeah let's go race in la molina then the second the second venue um pulled up to la molina and i did one better and i got sixth place and uh from that race my third race ever they invited me to world championships and at world championships, I got sixth as well. And the, that, at that race, it was a six man race. So it was a big final that I got, that I managed to get into. And um, from there, it was pretty much locked in uh, Beijing. was uh, Sorry, not Beijing. Uh, Pyeongchang was pretty much locked in. It, it, it was literally just a whirlwind. I went from three Europa cup podiums to an Olympic, an almost guaranteed Olympic debut in the matter, in a matter of two months. That's insane. And a World yeah, Cup and podium, I still wasn't of course, part of December, the Australian team before. So yeah. you actually, so you weren't actually part of the Australian team still at that point. How does how does that work? No, I was on the New South Wales Institute of Sport team, but at that point, the N Swiss team, the New South Wales Institute of Sport team, has come a long way since I was in in that um, in that uh, level. Uh, now they've got a coach, they've got funding. They go, they come and they do board, uh, camps with us. They're actually here right now in this house. There's 14 of us in this house. Wow, um, like big but, brother. <laughs> yeah, kind of. <laughs> but back then, um, back then we basically got strength and conditioning coaching and we had physio access if we needed it while we were in Australia. Um, but that was pretty much like the the lot of it. There was not much else going on. So um, essentially I, w- I was not part of the Australian team. And um, after, you know, it, I wasn't part of the Australian team even at the end of that year after I got my, my uh, world championship sixth place. And then in... Because they're on a year-long contract, so I didn't get the contract till the following um, June, I think. But 
yeah, so all of that was done not on the Australian team. And then all of a sudden, uh, six months later, I'm on the Australian team on my way to the Olympics. That's incredible. Which so is, is it kind of is it kind of like I guess I don't know if you're familiar too much with how it works to say with the Australian cricket team, but it's sort of like how yeah. you can still be selected to play for Australia without having a cricket Australia contract. Like there's sort of a, a middle ground kind of yeah. area there. Yeah. So we're all members of Snow Australia. There's like several different like kind of um, orbits of, of authority, but Snow Australia basically is the um, the body that enters all athletes into all the events. So that's from like the lowest level of um, FIS all the way up to the Olympics, basically. So they have their criteria set out and the Australian team is separate to that. That's the Olympic Winter Institute of Australia. They're a separate body to Snow Australia. So Snow Australia was like, yep, you can go race at these events. Um, your results are fine. They're great, whatever. And um Obviously, I was getting help. By the time I went to World Championships, I was basically, you know, um, shadowing the Australian team. They were helping me. Um, they gave me my first Australia jacket at the time. Um, I got my my fist photo taken and all that stuff. And uh, so, yeah, uh, I was getting entered into the races by Snow Australia and the Australian team was there, but they weren't with me. It must be a confidence-boosting thing, though, to go from you know, where you started to all that kind of success. And as I said, a, a podium me months out from Pyeongchang as well. So at the World Cup. Yeah. So, I mean, how how are you feeling at that point, which then ultimately leads to an Olympic selection about how quickly things have come for you? I mean, it must be a pretty high point to go into your first Olympics having that quick success. Yeah, it was. And to be honest with you, it was probably almost too quick. I think I got a little bit complacent, a little bit... Um, a little bit like, wow, this is a lot easier than I thought it was going to be. And I probably took my foot off the gas pedal a little bit, a little bit too much. Um, and, you know, I mean, it's all a learning curve. Um, but I think I could have done way better at that Olympics had I maybe have had a bit more of a close race to get at, to get to the Olympics. I would have still had a little bit of that fight um, that I had when I had knew I had to claw my way up through the ranks to get there to the beginning with. Um, and then I got there and I was like, well, podium. Wow. This is easy. I was on top of the world. I was so confident. I was overconfident. That's what I was. Um, and you see, you, you'll see in my results, it kind of, it kind of shows cause I get this podium and then it drops back down again for an extended period of time all the way through till, uh, the end of the next season, I don't get another top four results. So, um, I definitely think that I probably, you know, shot myself in the foot a little bit with my attitude, but you know, you have to, you have to learn these things. How is that when it comes to a sport like board cross, which, you know, there is a huge element of, of luck to it in terms of just a race itself. And I remember we talked to Josie before the Olympics about sort of that consistency, you know, sort of you're building on consistency yeah. on how you're performing. So did a lot of that sort of what you're saying feed into the fact that, you weren't expecting the level of competition maybe at an Olympics or going back to what we said at the very beginning of the interview, a bit more attention is brought on to you by say the media in Australia and things like that. I mean, was that something that kind of all came on to everything that sort of you'd gotten to that high and then maybe didn't expect all of those elements to go on board with everything as well? Yeah, it's definitely a bit of a shock. Like I, um, you know, I, I once I, I got all those good results in 2017, 2016, and I came home, you know, 
I've got a little bit of extra media. I've got, yeah, I've gone from absolutely nothing, right? Absolutely no media attention, absolutely no recognition. Well, that's probably a little bit harsh, but um, we'll say it anyway. No recognition from the Australian kind of like um, orbit of snowboarding uh, to all of a sudden, you know, I'm getting awards at Snow Australia and I'm getting nominations for Junior Athlete of the Year and stuff like this. And I'm like, wow, this is all happening so quickly. Um, and, and then, you know, <laughs> in February or, uh, sorry, in April that year, we had to do interviews with channel seven. I was like, Oh my God, I'm gonna be on TV now. Uh, <laughs> you know, I'm only 19 years old and all of this has just, just happened. Um, so yeah, I think that it probably did play a part of it too. Um, just like knowing that all of my friends back home are watching on TV as little as that. I knew that the school where I, where I used to go to school, they, um, the principal managed to get uh, New South Wales schools to let our school get off early. Like they had a two hour early mark wow. on the Olympics day to come and watch it um, at the bowling club. So, you know, it was, I knew all of these things, all these things were going on. And then, yeah. Um, to be fair though, at the Olympics, I got at Pyeongchang, I got kind of unlucky. Um, obviously there's things I could have done to avoid it, but I did get taken out um, by another athlete which is also something that happens in border cross, but um, you know, all of these things, they play a huge part in your mental attitude towards, um, towards your sport. And I think that I probably let it get a little bit to my head, all the attention, um, but I'm much more mature now. You know, I'm 25, I'm gearing up for my third Olympics and uh, I've had a lot of time to reflect on, on those kinds of decisions I made when I was a bit younger and I got four years now and I'm going to be 29 by the time, I finished my next Olympics. If I want to keep going, I gotta make it. I gotta make a an actual like you know solid effort. I don't want to regret what I'm doing now in in four years' time. So yeah, I can also imagine though that going to an Olympics at that age, it, it's sort of ticking it off a little bit where you can kind of you know other things outside of the competing side of things that come with an Olympic Games. You know, just all those Olympic experiences that I'm sure also are helped by your teammates. I mean, you, you've got three other guys alongside of you who've all been to Olympics before, obviously, you know, Jared yeah. and Cam and then the great, late, great Chumpy Pullen there as well, mm. kind of helping yeah. with that. I mean, were they able to really assist you and kind of help you kind of adapt to an Olympic experience that maybe you are then able to take on board into your next Olympics four years later as well? I think so. I think that they were very supportive of, uh, they were super supportive um, of, of my journey. But the thing was, I didn't have much time to get to know them because, you know, we had our we had our like three weeks in Europe the year before, where I did the three three World Cups and the Europe uh, and the World Championships. Um, then the next time I saw them was like November the year following, almost. Wow. So, it um, it's not like, you know, we we got together a couple times during the year, but I didn't know them that well still, and I was still like I was a very shy kid. Um, especially around that age, I'm a lot less shy now, luckily. Um, but back then I was like, man, these guys are so much better than me. What am I doing here? Um, <laughs> you know, it was a bit of a, bit of a crazy thing. And, um, but at the same time, they definitely, you know, held my hand through my first Olympic experience. And, um, you know, at the last Olympics, I definitely tried to do my best to hold a few other younger athletes hands and, and, um, yeah, it's, it's it's such an amazing thing to do, uh, such an amazing thing to be able to experience. It only happens once every four years, so you got to live it up while you're there. 
I can imagine though too that despite maybe being a bit disappointed in your own performance, I mean the fact that Jared walks away with a with a silver, obviously Chumpy made the final as well. So I mean from a team's perspective, yep. it was a pretty successful Olympics. Obviously. It was an incredible Olympics with two men in the big final. Cam got tenth place, um, and his story is is, is amazing because he fully ruined his elbow. Like yeah. I think I saw the list of injuries he did like ten individual like major injuries in his elbow on that fall that he did the run before. And then he still pulled out of the gate in the, in the semifinal, in the small final. And um, I mean, he got last in that, but he got top 10 overall because he did that. Otherwise he would have gotten equal 16th, um, you know, and then Chumpy overshot that middle jump and went down and Jared, you know, on top of, on top of his board all day and managed to sneak out an amazing second place. And that kind of stuff that reflects on the whole team. It, um, you know, luckily we have a relatively large team. So a lot of our funding that comes in, we get to, it's kind of like split amongst the team so that we can go and do things that maybe we wouldn't have been able to do before. And, and that kind of result at that Olympics, it really set us up for the next four years. Unfortunately, we didn't get such good results at the last Olympics, but, um, you know, uh, there was a lot, we had a lot going on in the last four years, you know, between, you know, losing Chumpy, um, we had the COVID situations. I had ACL reconstructions. Bell had ACL reconstructions. It was definitely a challenging four years. Um, but we're hoping that the next four years are going to be a lot better. It, I, I, we, that was the first winter games we had covered on this show. I remember it vividly and, um, you know, thrilled for Jared, but gosh, all my two other co-hosts, we were just on team chumpy. We had chumpy on a couple of months before the games and just, great interview and just everything about that and just the career that he had had um so oh. yeah it was it was such a great final to to see that and just just to see him at least make a final because that was what his first final yeah. at the olympics he had made wasn't it in three yeah. attempts so uh it yeah was obviously, he, he had a bit of yeah. a, a shock and run in the last in the, his first two olympics yeah and he, i think he did he do two or three i don't remember two that. i believe it's vancouver yeah. and, and sochi went in i think that's when he was the world champion wasn't it yeah going so in. he'd had yeah. a bad run in his first two and um, you know, out in the first heat, qualified first in in um, in both, I think, mm-hmm. and yeah, dropped out in the first heat. Devastating to watch on telly for me, but um, great to see him. Yeah, oh, we miss him a lot. We do. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, yeah, it's still hard, hard to believe that uh, he he's mm. he's no longer with us. Which obviously, I can imagine, still for you guys, is still very uh, very hard to sort of comprehend because he, he just seemed like such a presence to all of you no matter you know how you were competing and always seemed such a such a help and i can imagine without yeah. his influence i mean the sport itself i mean probably wouldn't be in the position it is today yeah no he was a very he was once in a lifetime kind of bloke chump he um i don't think i ever met somebody that didn't like him um mm. and you know i didn't know this but i i like um, I knew he, had, he, I knew that he knew a lot of people, but after he passed away, just the overwhelming amount of people that just knew, like had known him, you know, it had an effect on their life. It was, it was crazy. And um, I think that pretty much the entire snowboard cross industry in Australia has, you know, a debt to pay to him that they probably will never be able to because, he's the one that pushed the sport in Australia and, and he's the one that made like young kids like me want to want to do it. And, um, you know, I was lucky. I was lucky that he, he ended up, 
I, I managed to be, you know, all three stages of a Chumpy fan. And I was, um, he was my idol when I was growing up. He was my coach at some of the futures programs that we do where the young kids get to meet the older athletes. Then he was my teammate and then he was my friend. And, and I feel pr- really lucky to be, have been able to know him so well and hang out with him. Got so many stories to tell that I probably won't tell. Might might drag his name a little bit. Uh, really good stories though, you know. <laughs> some night there's out, a book some in nights there. out on there's, tour. That there's, we, a tri- there's a yeah, tribute yeah, chumpy a book, book I think sure. you guys need to write. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, just so lovely and, you know, so welcoming too. Like, yeah, a little nervous kid, little shy kid joins the team and he's all, all, all about it. And yeah, awesome, awesome bloke. Such a great, such a great man and such a legend of the sport for sure. I always love hearing about sort of Olympic experiences in terms of just soaking up things like village life, you know, whether you got yep. to do opening or closing ceremonies. I mean, did you get to do a lot of that in Pyeongchang? Was that more of a case of you did more of that in Beijing? I mean, kind of how did yep. the both Olympics kind of come with those sort of experiences? I think that my both of my Olympic experience might, might, might actually be fairly um, – different to most people's because uh, I mean Australia usually in Pyeongchang at least Australia held a Australian welcome party um, but the border cross team's flight was delayed by five or six hours so we ended up missing the welcome party which I, whatever it's not that big of a deal got to go to the opening ceremony that was awesome like uh, absolutely unbelievable vibe in that room and then um, then we got moved from the main village out to the sub-village that the Australian team had set up because the venue was like an hour away from the village. So we had a little hotel that we'd kind of set up as a um, base of operations for our sport. And so we were separated from most of the village for the majority of the time I was there. And then when I came back, obviously the village, the village life is amazing. It's so fun. It's so awesome. You know, you have your little pins i'm sure you've heard about the pins oh, you yeah. get your pins and it's a whole like mini game you change trading all your pins with different nations uh, see if you can get the rarest pin um and that's an amazing experience in itself and then you've got all of the um you know if you've got if you end up making friends with people from other nations you've got all of their like um, team houses that you can go into and and kind of like feel a little bit of like wherever they're from i think i went to the austrian house it felt like we were in um, like a, you know, a Stein bar out at bloody, I don't know, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just, I yeah. felt like we were in Austria at a bar nice. in Austria and, um, same with the German house, the Czech house. It, um, yeah, it's awesome experience. Beijing was definitely a little bit more tame because, uh, obviously with COVID and everyone being so paranoid, rightly so of catching COVID and missing out on their events. Um, we kept everything really insular. We had the Australian house at the Olympic village. We had a chef, we had all in-house, um, food. We imported everything. So we didn't you have to barista share anything. Too, which I've learned. Have we had a barista? Was a, yeah, yeah. You were the only, were you the only country that had uh, a barista? I think I've, I've learned from some of the yeah. other Aussie athletes. Yep. No, we were, we were, um, I think he worked, I, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, quote too much here because i don't remember it that well but he yeah he was the barista that worked at one of the office near one of the offices um for the ais i think and and he was wow. uh, brought on board 
Not a bad gear. Incredible. So the AIS, yeah, the AOC knocks you on your door before the, hey, would you like to come to Beijing and serve some coffee for our athletes? Sure, all right. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah, so I think he got to go to the opening ceremony too. Awesome wow. experience for him. Because <laughs> um, well, I'll get to this in a second, but so our, yeah, our village, everything was was in-house. Like we didn't do anything basically outside. Um towards the end we got to see a couple of our friends from other nations we hang out in the the um, common room but other than that all in-house and um the same thing kind of with the opening ceremony it was a very it was only a very small amount of people that were able to go from our village because because the time periods that you were allowed to arrive and then the time periods between when you arrived and when you had to leave were so narrow um that basically it boiled down to like the border cross team I think some of the park and pipe team were able to come as well for snowboarding, not for skiing though. Um, because other guys had to compete the next day and it was like a four hour drive plus however long it takes to do the, um, the opening ceremony and then all the way back again to the village. Um, so it was a, just a very small contingent of athletes that got to go and also a few staff, including the barista. Wow. Which is always, I love it when you do kind of see that the staff get involved because, you know, they're, they're there for that experience. So, I mean, there were literally some countries, I think, that maybe send one athlete and they're competing the next day. So, you know, you've got the team physio is carrying the flag for Nigeria or something like that. And it's just, yeah. You know, yeah. It, it's fascinating how that kind of works. But, I mean, I guess in that aspect, given that Beijing was so unique, given that you got to experience it in Pyeongchang. I mean, you've experienced two very different Olympics, haven't you? That maybe yep. some people who debuted in Beijing, obviously, probably don't really know any different. We learned that from a lot of our Tokyo athletes last year as well. They, they don't know any different. Totally. And um, and the crazy thing is, I think that the, uh, the next one, Cortina, uh, Molano, Cortina is going to be completely different again. Yeah. You know, I th- I've heard, I've read um, that Kamal, uh, Milano Cortina is going to be the most geographically spread out Olympics that's ever been done, like over 600 kilometers, I think. Yeah. So I'm sure that that Olympics is going to be completely different again. Um, we'll just have to play it by ear, mate. You know, you just, you, you, you don't expect too much. Every time you go to an Olympics, it doesn't matter how many times you've been there. I've been there twice now. Both were very, very different. So I'm expecting this one to be different as well. And then 2030, your next one, your 2034, yeah. as you keep going, they would just uh, yeah. keep on. Yeah, I'll be pretty old by 2034. Holy hell. Still I'll young, be like, 37, oh, right? I'll be That's not too bad. Yeah, it's pretty old for a border <laughs> cross racer. There's only one guy that's that old. Was it was that uh was that Mr. Baumgartner Nick? Was yeah, it? Uh, yeah, yeah. The most Which, I mean, he got a gold, gold when he's in his forties. Come he on, did, like he I mean, did. Yeah. plenty of time for you there, Adam. Heaps you know? of time. <laughs> Spring chicken. Uh, you're not even you're not even close to getting to where he's at. I mean, obviously, talking about sort of what happened in Pyeongchang. I mean, how was that mindset then going in to Beijing? Obviously, another podium. You'd gotten fourth just beforehand as well. And so, I mean, was the confidence yep. where it was at, but a different level of confidence where it was going into Pyeongchang? Yeah, it was, it was, um, I mean, I was obviously coming off a few good results then I'd, I'd gotten fifth place at the test event. Um, I was riding really well at the test event in Beijing. So we went to Beijing to do a test, basically a test run for the Olympics, but it was a world cup. Um, I got fifth place there and then we turned around, um, in Russia, I'd qualified second and then I finished fourth. Um, so I was feeling really fast on those types of courses. They were very similar courses. Um, 
And, you know, sometimes it comes down to small mistakes. And in the qualification, I made a mistake, which put me into the second bracket of riders. So the 16 to 32, and I should have really been in the top 16 because my second run on a slower course ended up being sixth fastest of the day. Mm. Um, so I really should have been not against the guys I was racing against. And we ended up, I ended up getting put up against the two, the two guys that I would consider, uh, like my, probably my closest rivals, like in a, in a friendly way. Um, because they're the guys you want a boxing ring potentially in the future. Maybe (laughs) I reckon I could take them. Um, (laughs) you can take Elliot. (laughs) Yeah, Elliot, exactly. (laughs) So, yeah, so we, us three, we're all the same age, roughly. Elliot's a bit younger. Merlin's a little bit younger than I am. But we all basically started World Cup at the same time. Um, and we've been progressing together. So I was there and I was like, man, this is a tough heat between the boys. And um, it was. It came down to centimetres in the end. Um, 0.3 seconds, was it not? Yeah. Uh, basically at 0. the end. 0.03, I think. 0. 0.03, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you can't even measure that. You can't even measure that no, on, without a, it's a this, special it's this. It's about that far going at about 60 to 70 kilometers an hour. But, um, you know, I'm much more, I'm much more comfortable with that result. Surprisingly enough. Um, because in Pyeongchang, I got taken out, which was really hard to swallow, but at least I I know that in Beijing, it was my own fault. I made mistakes in qualification that could have changed the outcome of the race completely. I made mistakes in the heat that could have changed the end result of that heat so i'm much more comfortable with that result overall even though it's still disappointing i was much more ready to to accept it and move on and start the next four year cycle with a clear mind you know we've got a bit of a different different vibe going this year with the training the training has been so much more intense and we're we're really pushing to be the best we can be um for this world cup season you know when everyone's taking their foot off the gas after the olympics we're trying to put our foot on it and really push. Um, I'd say I'm the fittest right now than I've been in a long time, um, like a long, long time or maybe ever. And um, it's very exciting. It's very exciting. I love the quote that you said after that race where you said everything went to plan to the last turn. It feels great to be here. It feels terrible to lose. That's brought across. We love it. I mean, you've got negatives and positives all in one <laughs> sentence there, basically. But I mean, it's just yeah. such a great summary of the sport. I think in that sentence. Yeah, it's a it's an emotional roller coaster. You know, um, the highs are higher, the lows are low. But uh, yeah, that's what we do. We do love it. That's that's all there is to it. Which when I mean, you look at sort of what happened then, I mean, you know, Merlin obviously won the small final and, and Elliot got yeah. silver. So, I mean, kind of it's just that sport of margins that had that yeah. been you instead of one of them, who knows what could have happened. Totally. And um, you can sit there and think about the what-ifs a lot and you do a little bit, you know, it's, it's inevitable, but we try not to think about the what-ifs because they hold you back, you know, you got to let them go. You got to let them go and you got to think about the next big thing, the next big race, the next the next small goal on the uh, ladder to the big goal. Which it makes you hungrier, I guess, too, though, doesn't it? You kind of, as you're talking about, like, you, you can leave the Olympics with a, a bit of a, you know, head held a little bit higher rather than being taken out to spur you on so that when you go towards Milan, it's maybe a different mindset at all, knowing that that's what you're capable of. Let's, let's take the next step. Yeah, totally. It totally... Totally does. And um, 
I think it just matures you a little bit, you know, every time you take a big hit, um, you know, you, you, you think about it, you reflect on it, you mature a little bit and you take what you've learned and you go towards the next, the next race. So, yeah. You obviously got a bit of a second, second chance. So with, with the mixed team, Australia sort of getting a second team last minute, which I, I was, I worked at channel seven during the Olympics. I was a researcher and we were sort of trying to work out how it all would work out because obviously Jared and Bell were the world champions going into that, but Jared obviously didn't have a very good meet. So when it came to the selection, (laughs) so Cam and Bell get chosen as Australia one, essentially you and Josie, then Australia two, did it all, does that all come down to how you guys performed in the individual events as to why say you got the nod over Jared, given that he was a world champion, it didn't matter because you did better in the Olympics. Yeah. So, um, it, the criteria was based on individual results from the year, uh, that year. So, right. Um, the way it worked, it, there was a committee. I think the committee was an eight-person committee, and the this, uh, the uh, selection committee. You know, it, it included the um, the chef de mission, the CEO of N Swiss, uh, sorry, the CEO of Snow Australia, the CEO of OWIA, the lead support of OWIA, and a, and a few, and the coaches obviously, and I think um, uh, some other people that uh, work more closely with Jared were involved in the decision-making process as well, and. Um, yeah, so uh, basically the end result was based off best result at the Olympics. Obviously, Cam got that best result. He got the A-team spot. Um, that was also based off his World Cup podium that year and a few other top eight results that he'd had. And I was picked in second place based off my um, top five, uh, fifth, place at the, um, fifth place at the test event, my fourth place in Russia, and um my other sprinkling of, of top 16 results um it was just it was just based off the year that that year who was who was on who was on form and how is that then when you get that tap on the shoulder when australia get given a second team and then here you yeah. are you you sort of get another chance i mean we'll obviously talk about the fact that unfortunately both australian teams got drawn in the same heat but i mean got that drawn. must be yeah. a, a nice little moment to go cool i get I get another chance at this yeah we kind of mentally prepared for the eventuality and the reason we did is because we knew that there were f- the way that the Olympics worked it, uh, they, they brought in some other. So the qualification for the Olympics is top 32, basically top 32 athletes, give or take, get to go to the Olympics. Obviously there's a few nations with a few more than four people in the top 32. So that goes down to 33rd, 34th, etc. But, um, Generally, it's the top 32. For this Olympics, because of the team event, what they did was they invited a few people who were way outside of the top 32 to race so that they could fill spots for nations for the team event. Um, and that was a very controversial decision at the time, um, more in-house, obviously. But we were fairly certain that there were a few um, of the female races that were in, a, in over their head, um, so to speak. Um, I know the Japanese team who didn't end up racing the Japanese girl had only ever done one world cup before, um, never competed at a bigger event than that. Um, and the Czech team, this one was a little bit more on the nose, a little bit more like guesswork. He broke his wrist, um, during training. So we were mentally prepared to keep, to keep racing. Cause there was only one Czech boy. There was only one Japanese girl. And in the end, they both ended up hurting themselves and not being able to race. So, 
we never really switched off, but the hardest part was because we didn't find out for sure until the day before the race, we had women's race, men's race day off. That's the afternoon of the day off. We found out who was going to be racing. We didn't know up until that night. And then obviously team event the day after. Wow. So such a quick turnaround. And is there much in terms of, you know, when you teamed up with Josie, I mean, is there like a strategy meeting? Like, can you, do you have sort of come there? I mean, given that you're drawn in the same heat as, as Cam and Bell, do you guys have to come up with some sort of tag? Yeah. How does that then work? Well, yeah, it's, it's a tough one. Um, we, you know, we're, we're a close knit team and obviously, um, you know, it's a big event. And if it was just two individuals racing together in the same heat, you know, it is what it is. Your, your, your strategy meetings in your head, you don't talk to anyone. But for this event, we did actually have to, we all, all four of us, we were sat together. We were like, all right, let's break. Let's go do our strap meeting on our own. And then we'll come back and hang out. <laughs> we can't do it together. <laughs> so um, the strap meeting wasn't very long, really. Um, it basically boiled down to race your best race. Um, you know, a few bits and bobs here, like uh, basically the same things we talked about in the individual race. We weren't, we weren't talking too much strat like as a team, because there's not that much to talk about. Basically there's a men's race and then there's a women's race, but the women's race is broken up with the men's times. So, you know, whatever strategies you had in the individual race, they were completely still um, like they still worked for the team event. It's just that the whole layout's a little bit different. And nah, I was very proud of how Josie performed at that race. She, she really outdid herself, especially in that start section she got so much speed and I just think she, she surprised herself. And, um, you know, she caught up to Lindsay a little bit faster than she expected and she just clipped her board and went down. But, um, you know, um, it was a great experience and you probably didn't know this, but me and Josie were actually neighbors growing up. So, Oh, wow. To yeah, across the road neighbors. So to be able to race with somebody that I knew so well from such a young age was really cool experience crazy you grew up as neighbors and you end up as teammates literally in an event in olympic games that's insane yeah yep it it was pretty nuts which i mean obviously disappointing how it all turned out uh two australians in in one heat and unfortunately both go down but i've got to say if australia wasn't going to win the gold uh i think most people might have secretly been cheering on for Lindsay and nick uh particularly Lindsay's story after turin i mean it was a you know to go from that to two olympic gold medals not bad and for nick as we mentioned before at his age to kind of go away with that i mean it was a great story no Lindsay's Lindsay's got a an epic redemption arc is what we've called it um you know, from her first She had the Olympics guts to do the, she... the grab at the end too, didn't she, in the team final? Like, she had the guts. Did like, I didn't yeah, see that. She did. I oh, remember we – I think we were doing crazy. that live in an episode. And we go, holy – she's doing it. Like, wow, you, Lindsay, yeah. you're, tw- you're risking fate again. <laughs> yeah, you, you don't live that one down if you screw it up twice, that's for sure. But um, she had a redemption arc. Uh, you know, she's – I th- I don't know for sure. I think she's the most decorated woman of all time in border cross multiple multiple times world champion um multiple multiple times uh world cup podium athlete so she's by no means a pushover and obviously she would have won a gold medal yeah in canada um had she not fallen where she did and you know i'm i'm super happy for her and she's a lovely lady like we're we're friends the australian team is in a very unique and bucky position where we're good friends with most most of the teams on tour and um you know, it was great to see, you know, her do so well after we got out, of course. Um, 
great to see those two do so well because they're they're the probably the oldest that was probably the oldest aggregate team on tour by a long way you know with, you with Lindsay, Lindsay's in her 30s yeah get old exactly around. you know i'm still coming into my prime mate i reckon yeah and josie's a spring chicken still too she's what only 18 isn't she so like i mean yeah plenty, yeah plenty of years up yeah sleep. well she's done Both two seasons i've done yeah. five seasons there's plenty more seasons left in us yeah, exactly. I can imagine that. Uh, we're going to close it out with a set of sort of get to know yourself, fun, silly questions in just a moment. Just a couple of things, though. I always love finding out in certain sports about sledging, rivalries. I mean, you're talking about boxing, you know, getting these guys in the ring. But, I mean, it's it's a yeah. bit of a physical sport. There's a bit of, you know, contact going on out there and that. But, I mean, are there just some sort of athletes or some countries where the, the chirping gets on a little bit more and sometimes you're like, I, I love beating these guys out. And like the Czechs. God, I love beating the Czechs or, the, you know, the oh, Dutch. Yeah. They're so good to beat, like, out there on the um, course. Oh, it's a tough one because we are really good friends with everyone and I'm pretty okay with getting beaten by a lot of people. There are some there are some teams that have some like tactics that we don't agree with. Um, without throwing names out there, that the Italians tend to ride lines on the turns um, that cause accidents sometimes. Um, Cam is a big uh, <laughs> big anti fan of that. He's been taken out by a few of the Italians in the exact same way over the course of a few years. Um, so. If we pull an Italian, you know, you got to plan around that. You know that they're always going to do the same thing. They're always going to dive on the inside of the turn and then they're going to run it super wide and push you up into the fence and stuff like that. So um, it feels good to get through a heat where they can't do that to you for sure. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, other than that, everyone's out there having a good time. Everyone's loving the sport. So um, I don't really feel good about beating anyone in particular. I just feel good to not get beaten. <laughs> I think that will feel a little bit better though in in four years' time being Italian in Italy though. Like I mean, oh totally, bring yeah, that'll tactics to the table. The home, <laughs> the home, the home crowd won't be so happy, but that's all right. I'll yeah. buy him a beer afterwards. Exactly. Well, that that's all the main thing. And before we get to it, um, do you since two thousand and nine, how much attention extra does does Adam Lambert? You're talking about the name recognition. I yep. can imagine almost your name probably get better attention out there after. American Idol 2009. Like, doesn't that help you a little bit sometimes? You can just play off that you're a certain other guy out there? <laughs> yeah, well, so a lot of people um, a lot of people ask when they see my name or ask for my name, they're like, oh, what's your, this is general public in, in uh, usually stuff. Uh, but, you know, I'll be talking to someone and I'll be like, oh, what's your name? Because I'll, I'll say, oh, I'm snowboarder, blah, blah, blah. What's your name? I'm like, oh, it's Adam. They're like, can you last name blame? But like, oh, like the singer. <laughs> And I'm like, yeah, like the singer, like the singer. And I was like, oh, I'll have to look you up later. And then I'll be like, just be careful when you look me up because if you don't add snowboarding on the end, you will not find me. <laughs> so, well, I, you know, I will admit a, that was a bit of a, like doing some research on, on this, it comes a little bit that way. But there, there was a movie that was recently released. It was uh, a guy did a movie about people in real life called James Bond and about sort of how they were able to live with such a famous name. So... I think there's a sequel there where people can just do a, a, you know, people with other famous names. Like there is another Ben Waterworth out there who is more famous, more yeah. successful than I am. So I get his abuse. Like he, he's a journalist like me, but a more successful one. He gets like abusive emails that get sent to me. So it's kind of flattering yeah. in a way, but at the same time, but like, yeah, yeah. I, you know, you could use that for sponsorship, surely. Like, oh, Adam Lambert's snowboarding now. Like, wow, he's yeah, totally. doing a lot of gonna... life. <laughs> just got to ignore the, um, yeah, ignore the blatant like 
mis- misinformation that's involved with that. <laughs> yes. But yeah, you, no. You're not part of Queen. Uh, people, you weren't um, in Bohemian Rhapsody. <laughs> no, totally. But I think it does make me a bit more memorable, you know. Um, you know, if I'm introducing myself to, to other people that I don't know, people that are interested in the sport and I tell them my name, they're going to remember it. I'll tell you that much. They're going to remember it. Um, but I usually go by Lambo. Lambo. That works. Fun yep. fact, I've actually, I have interviewed the other Adam Lambert. I, um, so he came to oh, home really? one year and I interviewed him in person. So you're the second nice. Adam Lambert he, I've interviewed. Uh, <laughs> he mentioned me in a Twitter comment, I think. Ah, One nice. time. I got, a, I got a few followers off that one. There you go. Wow. That, <laughs> yeah. that, I mean, I think you should, like, contact his management, get up on stage or something like that. I don't know. Like, just surprise people or something like that, you know, just uh, uh, I think I'm, get him in I on think a snowboard. I think a bit too far. <laughs> yeah, give him a snowboard, yeah. A little gift. Yeah, that'll, that, that'll work. Yeah. Uh, Adam, as, as I said, we, we like to wrap up our interviews with a set of fun get-to-know-you-style questions. As always, these are based off a questionnaire that Team Canada gave their athletes ahead of the PyeongChang and Rio Olympics. And yep. uh, we're, we're going – I always like to base it off a, an athlete in the same sport, and we're going yep. here on uh, Chris Robinaski. Uh, is he oh, a Robo. Canadian you know very well? Yep. Or? Yeah, I know okay. Robo. All right. Well, uh, we'll see some of his answers here. We can compare them with you to see uh, potentially how they go. There is a draw. Like, you don't have to. It's a, it's an optional element. If you want to draw, if you're good at drawing, there's uh, little drawings you can do. Draw a picture of yourself. If you're an animal, you can I draw. I don't have it. any pedal paper. Don't have any of that. All right. No, that's that's all good. It can be homework if you if you want to do it down right. the line. But yeah, not, yeah, yeah. not compulsory. First question for you. Uh, your favourite Olympic moment is? It's always been uh, Stephen Bradbury winning his yes. gold medal. That's Perfect a, a classic. Yeah. Which have you ever have you ever met the man? Like, I mean, obviously, you know, with the winter sports community. I, I mean, I, I don't know if you would have bumped shoulders with I'm him at all. I'm pretty or? sure I have. I'm pretty sure I have. Yep. He's I think an he enigma. was in. I think he was in Ginline a few years ago, and he came into the gym and introduced himself. Yeah. Which yep. try his beer. If you haven't tried his beer, it's it's not bad. Last yeah. man Give standing it a go. beer. Uh, I will. Yeah. Give it a give it a crack. Uh, <laughs> That's if a you great could, name. It, it fits very well. It's actually cool merchandise. It's got like turtles and everything on. He was on the show a couple of months yeah. ago. I had to plug it for about half that interview, so it's it's rubbing off anyway. Uh, if you could have any superpower, what would it be? Oh, that's a tough one. Probably teleportation. Yeah, yeah I hate planes, so <laughs> makes being it easier able to, to teleport travel. from. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, going through those places. Uh, what's your favorite sports yeah. movie? Sports movie. Um, oh, the first one that jumped into my head was Cool Runnings, but I prob- I'm sure there's probably other ones I like more, but we'll go with Cool Runnings. <laughs> I, I always like to compare when James Bond has done a cool winter sports. He snowboarded in A View to a Kill. So, I mean, you know, mm-hmm. you can technically say you're sort of James Bond. Yeah. You know, does a lot more winter Obviously, there's also snowboard movies that I enjoy, but uh, do yes. they count as snow as sports uh, movies? <laughs> of course, you know, like uh, you sort of have to watch them, right? You know. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, I grew up with them. Man. Anyway, um, your funniest <laughs> childhood memory is funniest childhood memory. Oh, put me on the spot with the memories. I'll tell you, it's not that good. <laughs> um, I don't know. I remember one time I went camping with my parents and I was eating earthworms. They didn't like that, <laughs> but I didn't care. Probably helped my immune system. <laughs> yeah, why not? Maybe that's where you got sick. That wasn't in China, was it? <laughs> no, that wasn't in China. <laughs> so we got to the bottom of that yeah. uh, after all these years. I thought but that okay. would have helped. 
Maybe with some of the food over there, but it didn't. <laughs> Maybe it settles the stomach. Bit of nutritional yep. uh, value there. Uh, what's your favourite pump-up song? Please say an Adam Lambert song. That would just be hilarious. It's not. It's not an Adam Lambert song. <laughs> it's uh, "Run to the Hills" by Iron Maiden. Nice. Oh yes, good song. All right. Is that? Do yep. you put that on sort of before you're in the start gate? Is that sort of a help warm up? No, I usually I listen to music on the train on the way to the race. Right. I don't really okay. listen to music once I'm there, but um, I have a playlist that I listen to on my way there, and that's always the one I like to finish up on. Good choice. I like it. Uh, what's the most recent TV show you binge-watched? I just finished Obi-Wan. Ah, what did you I, think uh, of it? I thought it was pretty good overall. I um, I was watching it whilst doing hour-long bike sessions, so it was a really good way to pass the time. <laughs> yes, exactly. Ewan McGregor doesn't age, right? Like the guy just... Oh, no, no. And the classic hello there line, it'll never get old yes. either. <laughs> I was a little too excited for Hayden Christensen's return. I'm a massive prequel fan. I mean, you can probably tell if I move my head, there's a uh, Revenge of the Sith poster behind me. So, yep. uh, yes, yep. no, a bit of a bit of a prequel lover. Uh, what is your least favourite food? Least favourite food? A few years ago, I probably would have said capsicum. Um, not a huge fan of capsicum overall. And you know what? I probably stick with that. I can't think of anything that's worse off the yeah. top of my head. Okay. I'm glad that as an Australian, I understand that. When last time somebody answered that, uh, my co-host, uh, Colin, uh, didn't understand that because, of course, they call it peppers over there. So, he's like, yeah, the peppers, yeah. It's like, you know, come on, Colin. Yep, get peppers and aubergines, mate. <laughs> yeah. If you weren't an athlete, what would you be? Well, I don't know. Probably, probably, or I don't know. I'm getting into computer programming now, so maybe I would have been a software engineer or a a web developer or something or maybe i would have just because my parents own a, a ski shop in Ginnabine. um i currently run the hire shop i probably would have done that more yeah nice okay yep. do, do people right now recognize I only you in, in, the, the... in the shop like they come well go, sometimes hey. sometimes i um sometimes i wear my australian gear to, to work <laughs> because it's the only thing i don't have left that's clean and um <laughs> and uh then i get they ask, they're like, oh, did you go to the Olympics? And I'm like, yeah, I did. <laughs> but I don't really make it super fun. It's, um, it's a very like one-sided. That. Yeah. That, that kind of works. I guess, I guess in that area, though, like, I mean, you probably got a lot of Olympians who are training there anyway, so it's probably. Yeah, there are know, a few around, yeah, for sure. This year especially. More- more common to bump into them than say just you know down the shops and somewhere in Sydney or something like that. Yeah. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, growing up, who was your favourite sports team? The Raiders, NRL. Okay. Yep. yep. Still a fan. Still follow it. Yeah. Still, still watch them a little bit. I, I usually only watch them if they're in the finals though. <laughs> Which, uh, yeah, it's kind they of they will not Sharks, be this man. year. <laughs> so. Yeah, I, I paid attention a little bit this year because we did all right, but um, yeah, it's been a couple of years, so generally that's yeah. how it works um where is your favorite vacation spot oh that's a tough one i think if i was going to plan myself a holiday and i didn't have to worry about or budget not that that's that important but if i could plan myself a holiday next week i would go probably to japan to go ride um i went there once when i was really young um and it's just somewhere i've always wanted to go back to i i love the culture over there i love the snow is amazing. I love the people are amazing. You know, the food is amazing. It's a place I'm going to go back to one day. I just haven't been able to find the time. It probably won't be until I retire. 
or 2030 possibility that Sapporo could be hosting the oh, Olympics. In Sapporo, true, true, true. Yeah, Maybe I'll have something. to readjust my um my goals. <laughs> exactly. 2030 yeah. eight year plan. Range. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's eight, eight years. Easy. Eight yeah, years again. is is within reach. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, easily. Um, what's something that people usually describe you as? Oh, what do people describe me as? Um, been called Nugget before. <laughs> Because I'm kind of short and dense. Um, <laughs> I was going to say like golden and tasty, but I yeah, mean, no, they called me golden nugget once too. That was like, that was in a um in an article that I read. Uh, <laughs> I got in touch with the lady and I said, please don't call me that again. Um, <laughs> didn't didn't go on the Tinder but, profile after that. <laughs> no, nah, the golden nugget. Oh god, I um I don't know. I think people would describe me as a relatively funny guy overall, uh, friendly. Yeah. Okay. That's what, I, Chris, that's what I'd say most people. Chris has said here that he is Mother Hen of Team Canada. I don't know if you know. He would have been back then. He, yeah. yeah. That mantle's okay. been passed on to Kevin Hill, who's just retired. So I don't know who the next one's going to be. It's probably going to be Evan Bishop. Okay. Yeah. All right. <laughs> we, we, we'll do some research. We'll find out. Uh, yeah, last yeah, yeah, question we'll for you. If. Uh, yeah. You could be an Olympian in any other sport besides your own, Adam. What sport would it be? Oh, you know, in the past, I probably always would have said BMX. It's such a similar sport overall. Um, I will give it a crack one day. But nowadays, if I could be Olympic level at any sport, it would probably have to be surfing. Nice. Because I just love the idea of summer. At the moment, you know, I haven't had a summer in eight years. I would love to have a summer. I would love to go surfing all the time. You know, I'd love to make heaps of money. <laughs> all of that, all of that stuff. You know, um, well, so yeah, BMX or surfing. We'll say both. Just always putting it out there. Ten years time, Brisbane Olympics. You could you could put in the efforts. You could put in the miles, and then you could be at a home Mate, Olympics I have and retire. Some serious serious miles to cover, I reckon, before yeah, I'm a good That's surfer. a decade. <laughs> you, you got into the Olympics yeah, in snowboarding after less than 12 months? Come on, I've got every faith that you can do it in surfing too. <laughs> <laughs> you know? That's, well, that's, keep that's, an eye on that space then. <laughs> yeah, I will. We'll watch it very uh, closely there. And before we let you go, if anybody wants to keep up to date with what you've got going on, social media, yep. website, where can people uh, stay up to date with you? Yeah, well, my Instagram account actually just got banned, but I've got a new one now. It's uh, Lambo underscore SBX. Okay. Um, so that one's that one's on the up and up. It's growing. I've got like 120 followers now. Very good. Good. Um, How, do you, also have a How do you get banned on Instagram? Oh, it got hacked. It got hacked by um by someone or something, and it sent a message to all my followers, like spam messages, right. and, and Instagram banned me for using bots. So um, I tried to appeal it. They didn't get back to me. So just bit wow. the bullet, starting a new one. Um, I also have a YouTube account, uh, YouTube channel, which I'm going to be using more this year, I think. Last year, I, I let it let it go by the wayside because I was focused on, on the Olympics. But now that I've got a bit more time, you know, I'll be, be uploading videos to there, hopefully, you know, once a fortnight or so. Um, that's Lambo Presents SBX, I think. Lambo Perfect. Presents SBX. Yeah. That's my uh, YouTube. So great. Well, yeah, they're, they're sure. the two main ones. 
we'll check them out and I'm sure people will be following you out there uh, ever so closely towards uh, Milan and uh, Sapporo and Brisbane and everything else that uh, follows in the years. Adam, mate, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show today and uh, give you your very first podcast experience. I, I hope it yeah, has it been fun. memorable and uh, leads you to better ones in this rubbish. It's all good. You the only way up from here from podcast. Don't worry. It's Joe Rogan's next, I think. Yeah, he's already he's, he's on. He's on, ready to go. He wants Adam Lambert on the show <laughs> ASAP. Trust me, and you're the Adam Lambert he wants. <laughs> yeah. And a massive thanks to Adam for his time on the show today. Great to uh, have a chat with him today. Learn all about that, and uh, I, I love hearing those stories about Chumpy, really, really do. Uh, obviously, we were very lucky to have Chumpy on this show just before Pyeongchang, as I mentioned, and such a great guy, and it's so amazing to hear the stories of just about how well loved and respected he is, and just to hear about how the impact of what he has done for Border Cross in Australia still continues to resonate to this day. So, uh, a fantastic man, and uh, fantastic stories, and a fantastic chat there with Adam. As always, if you want to see the video version of that interview, hit us up on our YouTube channel. While you're subscribing to Adam's YouTube channel, of course, you can see the video version as well as our past video interviews there but uh, a big thanks to Adam and also a big thanks to uh, Ryan Chipperfield for helping us organize that interview as well we've got some great interviews coming over the coming weeks we're continuing on the winter theme next week as we are going to chat to another Australian Olympian from Beijing this year Sevi de Campo cross-country skier five events he competed in Beijing was a very busy man and I love talking cross-country skiing and it's another great chat that you're going to hear from him so stay tuned to that one next week and of course to stay tuned as always hit us up on the social channels Facebook Instagram Twitter YouTube and hit us up on all the podcast channels search for off the podium mash the subscribe button you'll never miss an episode they'll go directly to whatever device you listen to podcasts from and you will always be up to date with the content we are putting out to you here on Off The Podium. And always, you can go through the back catalogue, hear some other great chats. Go find our chat with Chumpy from back in 2018 and other great chats. Josie Bath, I mentioned her in this interview as well. We spoke to Bill Brockhoff around about when we spoke to uh, Chumpy back in 2018 as well. So plenty of great border cross athletes and other snowboarders along the way that we have spoken to over the years here on Off The Podium. So uh, make sure you don't miss those or refresh your memories a little bit from those great chats. Thanks again to Adam. Thanks again to everybody for listening to the show. As always, shout out to the Birmingham Ball. And until we next speak again, my name is Ben. This is Off The Podium. And remember to go left. Thank you.